0: Join me this morning in your copy of God's Word, again, in the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 1, picking up where we left off last time, in verses 57 through 80. In these verses, uh, we find in Luke's narrative of the life of, of Jesus, uh, uh, another step, another development in the coming of the Messiah. The Christ has not been born yet, but he has been foretold. Uh, but also, uh, the prophet who would go before him, who would prepare his way, has been foretold as well in our passage today luke one fifty seven through eighty we will see the prophet is born John who we are who, uh, popularly uh, known as John the Baptist, is born here in these verses. He is sort of the, the dawning of the uh, Messiah's come. He is the, uh, the, the lighting of the sky, the morning sky before the sun has peaked over the horizon. He is that which lets uh, the world know that the Messiah is coming. We find that when John is born... His birth brings joy and and an intensified expectation for the coming Messiah. We've been talking all this month, this Advent season, about waiting for Christmas, moving slowly toward Christmas, not jumping straight into uh, the nativity scene, but taking our time to uh, uh, enjoy and observe all of the good and wonderful, miraculous things that God does leading up to Jesus' birth. We'll find today that we wait best for Christmas when we wait with continued obedience toward God and in the truth of the meaning of Christmas. We'll get to those things in just a moment. But let's read God's word together this morning. Luke chapter 1, verses 57 through 80. Will you stand with me as we honor God by reading his word? The gospel writer Luke continues. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, Blessing God! And fear came on all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid up in their hearts, saying, When will this, what, what, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people, in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness, and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel." Father God, we pray and ask for your help in this time to see your word rightly, to hear it clearly, to have hearts that are softened for obedience and continued faith in Jesus your Son. Bless us by your word, we pray, and in our study of it, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We wait best for Christmas, this text shows us. When we wait with continued obedience, And when we wait in the truth of the meaning of Christmas, let us look first then at the obedience of our brother Zechariah, the obedience of Zechariah in due time. And as expected, we see here in these verses that Elizabeth, Zechariah's wife, remember they were old and, and she was considered barren, unable to have children. But in due time and as expected, Elizabeth gives birth to her long awaited son, and when he is born, John brings with him all the rejoicing that the angel Gabriel said to Zechariah would come with his birth as those who are close to Zechariah and Elizabeth celebrate his improbable entry into this world. In light of all of the happiness and celebration, though, what shines through in this passage to us today, more so than the party happening when John is born, is the great obedience of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Elizabeth. They do not allow their son, nor their happiness, uh, in light of their son being born, to overshadow the importance of obeying God as part of their anticipation of the Messiah. They don't allow the circumstances of their life, as good as they may be, to keep them from being obedient. And so we see the obedience of Zechariah that teaches us that obedience enables us to celebrate rightly. Obedience enables us to celebrate rightly. And when John is born, the joy and exuberance of his birth are not an occasion for Zach and Ellie to let loose and let it all hang out in celebration. Even as joyous as John's birth is, they know that the right way to celebrate his birth is through obeying God's commands. Remember, Zechariah was a priest, and Elizabeth came from a priestly family and a priestly lineage. They, they were raised their entire uh, family legacy as one of serving God. And rightly so, they know that even in the best time of life, they cannot be distracted from, be distracted from obeying God. And so they are obedient, first to take him on the eighth day after his birth to be circumcised in accordance with Jewish law in order to identify him as part of the Jewish covenant community. Circumcision, friends, was more than just a quick medical procedure for the Jews. Many of you know this. It was a celebratory ceremony in which the parents of the newborn son rejoiced in God's blessing to them and simultaneously dedicated themselves to raise their son to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, and strength. Circumcision, which was first practiced by the father of the Hebrew nation, Abraham, was a generational sign of the covenant that God made with Abraham to give him innumerable offspring and to bless all the nations of the world through him. And so by obeying the instruction of the Lord for celebrating their son's birth, Zechariah and Elizabeth are able to rejoice with added spiritual significance. This is a value-added experience for them. They're not just happy that John is born, but they are recognizing the spiritual significance of God's blessing to them in his birth. John's birth is more than joy for them. It's a reminder of the goodness and the kindness and the mercy and most especially the promises and faithfulness of God. Obedience to God helps us to celebrate rightly. It it, it sets those most important events of our life. When, When we're walking in obedience to God, it sets those most important events of life in their proper perspective. And that's what else we see from the text before us, that obedience helps us to keep a proper perspective. Now, Zechariah and Elizabeth are not only obedient in having John circumcised, but they're obedient in naming him John. Let's not overlook that. Remember, both Elizabeth and Zechariah confirm that while it is an unlikely name, nobody else in the family is named John, that John is what the baby is to be called. The angel Gabriel told Zechariah that day he visited the temple and received that vision and promise of a son that he was to name his son John. And sometime during his several months of silence, Zechariah would have communicated to his wife, uh, probably by writing down, uh, that their son's name was to be John. And so when John is born, Elizabeth says that's to be his name. And much to the, the chagrin, the frustration of the people who were there, the misunderstanding of those who know that nobody in the family is named John, they still they go to Zechariah and he confirms it. Their obedience here confirms uh, for them the sign of Zechariah's silence. Remember we said that when Zechariah disbelieved the angel Gabriel, he was given this, this sign of the promise that Gabriel brought, and his sign was silence, that he was not able to speak. But when he confirms, when, John, when Zechariah names his son John, uh, the, the sign is then uh, uh, confirmed. And during Elizabeth's pregnancy and at John's naming now, Zechariah can immediately speak again once he uh, does what the angel has commanded him to do. Now, the purpose of Zechariah's silence, you remember, was to remind him that God could do and could be trusted to do what he promised. Zechariah disbelieved. He questioned God's ability to do this thing. Zechariah knew and understood this, so when he names his son as God instructed and is made able to speak again, the first thing that he does after being obedient and having his speech returned to him, the first thing that he does is to bless God for his faithfulness. Zechariah and Elizabeth's obedience to the instruction of God keeps their perspective rightly oriented in this time. God, not John, is the focus of their worship and the one that is praised for their joy. And their obedience to him has kept their focus properly aligned from the the day that Gabriel announced uh, the pregnancy that would be coming until the day when John enters the world and is named. Obedience helps us keep a proper perspective. It helps us to remember as we are being obedient to God in all that we do that all that we have and all that we don't have is ultimately from God and he is to be worshipped for all of it. So then, church, prepare yourself to celebrate Christmas with obedience. Well, say that again, because I'm not sure if everyone got that. Prepare yourself to celebrate Christmas with obedience. Celebrate with the proper perspective by humbling yourself before God and resting in His mercy and grace. You're probably wondering what it looks like to celebrate with obedience at Christmas. That's not something I've ever thought about in my life before. At Christmas, we don't have rituals that we're commanded to perform in God's Word uh, as Christians. We may have lots of traditions that we exercise, but none of those traditions are commanded to be obedient to in Scripture, unless, at least around Christmas time. And I think our obedience—I think obedience in our celebration at Christmas—looks a lot like our obedience, our obedience to God every single day. It looks like the discipline of daily confessing our sin and repenting in anticipation of celebrating the the birth of the Messiah who would save us from our sins. Celebrating with obedience looks like husbands leading and loving their wives like the Messiah would lead and love and give his life for the church. Children, teenagers, students, obedience to God in the Christmas season looks like your daily obedience to your parents, your daily honoring of your parents in all that you do. Christian, obedience to God as you wait for Christmas means continuing to make worship with your church family a high priority, even though there are a plethora of other events and tasks competing for your attention obedience in our waiting for christmas looks a lot like the daily weekly monthly obedience to glorify god to edify the church and to share the gospel with the lost that god has called us to all year long now if you're not a christian yet in truth you cannot worship god in obedience at christmas not until you've come to know the christ of christmas You may certainly celebrate the day, you can give gifts, you can be a moral and decent person if you don't know Jesus at Christmas, and no one will fault you for wanting to be generous to others in the season, and it's not wrong to do so. But know that obedience to God at Christmas is impossible if you've not yet submitted your heart and your life to Jesus the Christ born at Christmas and who died for your sins Now, you can begin to celebrate Christmas in obedience to God today by receiving the truth of who Christ is and receiving the truth of what he has done for you. Friend, if you're not a Christian yet, you receive this truth of who Jesus is by trusting. And and not trusting in me, not trusting in a church, not trusting in a particular sermon or, or gifted Christian teacher, but by trusting in Jesus himself, who though he died was raised from the dead. So friend, if you are not yet a Christian, learn to celebrate Christmas with obedience to God by trusting Jesus today and beginning your obedience, your lifelong obedience to Jesus by turning, by repenting of your sin and disobedience to live with and to live for him most of all. We learn from the obedience of Zechariah. That obedience, obedience helps us to celebrate rightly, that it sets things into its, the, the, the Christmas uh, event into its proper perspective. We learn also to celebrate in truth. And so in, in, in Zechariah's prophecy when his son is born, he tells us a lot about the truth of the Messiah. Let's look at that. the truth of the Messiah. Now, no sooner is John born than does Zechariah, much like Mary in the passage we saw last week, erupt in song to God. Now, Zechariah's song, his prophecy is significant because it isn't merely any song, but a a, a prophecy. You see in verse 67 that Zechariah is now filled with the Holy Spirit. Just as John in the womb was filled with the Holy Spirit and and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit when she met Mary uh, when she visited several months before. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, led by, encouraged by the Holy Spirit, Zechariah utters a poetic word of prophecy, a word from the Lord about his son. Now, this is significant because you'll remember that at this time there had not been a prophet in Israel for some 400 years, four centuries The same amount of time from Shakespeare till now. That's how much time has passed without a word from God. And so a rare word from God by this priest, Zechariah, is a sign to all that the Lord is moving and working and bringing about his purposes. That all that God had promised four centuries prior is is now starting to take place. Zechariah's prophecy reminds us of three truths to remember in light of Christmas. Three important truths. Number one, God is still faithful. Verses 68 through 75, uh, comprising the first half of Zechariah's prophecy, are all one long sentence that makes up the, the first half of his word. This one run on sentence has but one message God is still faithful. Notice, if you will, in in your copy of God's Word, all the references to God, to who God is, and what He has done here. We'll just take some of these in order. God has visited and redeemed His people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for the house of David. God spoke through the prophets. He promised salvation. God has shown mercy that was promised to their forefathers. God has remembered His covenant with Abraham and finally, Zechariah notes that God has delivered his people to serve him in holiness and in righteousness. Blessed be God, says Zechariah, as he begins this word, because he has made good on his promises and then some. He's done all that he said he would do, and then he, he it didn't add to it, but he did it just especially well. Worthy is the Lord, Zechariah says, worthy to receive praise and honor and glory because this truth remains. Our God is still trustworthy, still reliable. He is still faithful. Celebrate that truth as you prepare for Christmas. Celebrate a second truth, which is that John is not the Messiah. John is not the Messiah. Of the ten verses that that comprise Zechariah's prophecy... His only son, who he has waited decades for, by the way, receives the attention of only two verses. Two out of ten. Verses 76 and 77 tell us precisely who John will be. And these are things that Zechariah is just, uh, things that that have been revealed to him by the angel Gabriel that he's just really repeating. John will be a prophet of the Most High God, fulfilling the role of the divinely appointed messenger from the prophet Malachi in chapter 3, verse 1. This prophet who will uh, prepare the way for the Lord. John will point God's people to the knowledge of salvation and the forgiveness of sins. This is who he will be. Not the Messiah, but a herald. Not the king, but a messenger. Notice that this is neither where Zechariah begins nor ends his word of prophecy, right? Verses 76 and 77 are right in the middle of this whole long prophecy. His whole son, his only son, gets two two measly verses in this prophecy. And they're just kind of tucked away right in the middle between way more important stuff. The brief prophecy about John is sandwiched between the blessing of a faithful God and a confident word about the coming Messiah. As joyful as old Zechariah is about his newborn son, he still takes, his son still takes a back seat to the work that God has done and is yet to do through his promised Messiah. John will be a great man. Jesus himself will say, no man born of woman is greater than John the Baptist. John will be a great man, forerunner to the Son of God, prophet of the Most High, waymaker for the Christ. But that's all he'll be. That is all he'll be. Zechariah is sure to notice that as wonderful a blessing as John may be in his life, that John is still not the best thing. Nor is he even close to being the focus of Zechariah's prophecy. I believe that Zechariah is elated that he has a son. But he's more excited about the things that his son is not. He's more excited about the things that his, his son will prepare the people for. Now, there's a stern challenge to us as we consider this truth that John is not the Messiah, and he's not celebrated as the Messiah, even by his own father. The challenge to us, especially at Christmas, is to really make the Messiah, to really make Jesus the center and focus of our anticipation, the center and focus of our celebration of Christmas. Parents, if we are consciously or even subconsciously, teaching our children to anticipate a fat man in a red suit more than Jesus at Christmas, we have misled our children about the truth of the Messiah. Grandparents, if you have more joy at Christmas from seeing your grandchildren than you do in receiving Christ as King at Christmas, you are misled about the truth of the Messiah. If in our church we are more concerned about whether and how many Christmas trees are set up in the building than we are about setting Christ as king of our hearts, then we have misunderstood the truth of the Messiah at Christmas. If in our conversations after church we're more consumed with the carols that we have sung than we are the Christ who took on flesh, or with meeting a mission's offering goal than actually being on mission for the Messiah, then we are communicating to ourselves and to the world that something else is more important than the Messiah at Christmas. John would grow to be a great man with a great calling. A call to give his life in service to someone greater. Not long before he would be executed by Herod, as a grown man, John, said to those who followed him these words from the Gospel of John, chapter 3. He said, you yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. Dear friend, in light of the truth that Luke notes for us, in this song and this prophecy of Zechariah, that John is not the Messiah, take efforts, make pains to make everything else in your life smaller at Christmas so that Christ can increase. Amen. Decrease your personal expectations and your personal preferences. Decrease all of the things that you in, in in your heart are longing for so that Christ might be the thing that you are looking forward to most at Christmas. Make everything else decrease so that at Christmas Christ might increase. Zechariah teaches us that in the truth of, of the prophecy that he proclaims that God is still faithful, that John is not the Messiah. And that third, surely, the Messiah is on the way. The Messiah is coming. The most important truth of Zechariah's word in these verses is that there's no question about the Messiah's impending arrival. It is going to happen. Notice what he says in verses 78 and 79. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high here he's speaking about the the Messiah in in poetic terms, calling him the sunrise to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. this is who's coming this is who this is who they're really anticipating. John is great he's going to make the way for this for this sunrise to shine for the Son of God to to shine truth upon the world and into the hearts of men. This is what Zechariah is anticipating most. Just as surely as the lightning of the dawn sky promises the rising of the sun, so does the birth of the Lord's messenger confirm the coming of the Lord's promised Savior. The Messiah is the sunrise that Zechariah speaks of in verse 78. The sunrise that gives light to all who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and who guides our feet into the way of peace. It is the Messiah who will bring the perfect salvation that Zechariah has already blessed God for. It is the Messiah, the Son of God, who is coming to seek and to save the lost. Everything about John's birth, from his conception to his birth to his naming and the word of prophecy spoken over him, all of John's life is pointing us to the Messiah, is pointing us to the Messiah to Jesus and to his certain coming at Christmas. Know this truth. Celebrate in light of, in reminding yourself of this truth, the Messiah is on the way. And for us, 2,000 years later, dear friends, the Messiah has come. So when we read of John's life and, and, and even this narrative of, of his birth, let it be a reminder to you that God is faithful to make good on his promises in the most perfect way possible. And that just as all of John's life was about becoming less so that Christ might increase, dear friends, might we also make ourselves less at Christmas so that Christ can increase. We wait best for Christmas in light of the truth of who the Messiah is. When we take active measures Personal measures to magnify the Messiah, to magnify Jesus. Now, this time of year, it seems there's never any lack of bumper stickers or billboards calling for people to put Christ back in Christmas. But we know, as those who have trusted Jesus, that no secular force, no department store chain, no government can really remove Christ from any place over which he reigns. We know that what the world needs more is not the bumper sticker exhortation to put pictures of Jesus in their stores and on their Christmas cards, but to set Jesus as king of their hearts at Christmas. Jesus does not reign only when there is a nativity on the White House lawn, but all the time and over all creation. So if there's a little baby Jesus in a fake manger on the White House lawn or not, I don't care, Jesus is still king. We then magnify the Messiah. We make him great. We glorify him. We exalt him. We celebrate him in the world best at Christmas when we are not swayed by the religious, secular, political Christmas frenzy, but when we are calmed by the surety of Christ's birth and his death and his resurrection. Friends, it is not wrong for us to want the world to recognize Christ at Christmas. It's not, it's not wrong for us to want our lost friends to know Jesus. It's not wrong to, to pray that for, for those who don't yet know Christ that may be governing over us to know him and to worship him. But we magnify Jesus best and most rightly when we live and speak of Christ as the one that we want all persons to know and to worship and to trust and to follow 365 days a year. So, take active and personal measures to magnify the Messiah this Christmas by increasing the joy that you have in Christ among all other things, above all other things. Magnify the Messiah by showing to the world that Christmas is no mere religious tradition, it's not just a fun little quaint thing that Christians do but that Christmas is a celebration of the day that God took on flesh to live among us, that he might die and be raised to redeem us. Magnify the Messiah by pointing beyond the manger to the cross and to the empty tomb and to your own life made new and transformed by the risen and reigning Jesus. We don't worship little baby Jesus in a manger. We worship Christ, the risen Lord, King of kings, Lord of lords, ruler over all creation, who was born a baby in a manger, humbly, quietly, in servitude, that he might give his life in obedience for us in our place and be exalted to the place where he is today. Amen. Let us gather around the risen Lord Jesus. Let us magnify the risen Lord Jesus at Christmas. And let us show to the world that we have far more joy in Jesus who is risen than any depiction of a little baby Jesus in a fake hay manger, Because he's not confined there. He's not contained there. He is risen. He is ruling. He is reigning in the hearts of all of those who have trusted him as king. Repented of their sins. And given their life to him. So make Jesus famous at Christmas. Not by means of bumper stickers and billboards. But through being a transformed witness to the personal power of the Messiah. Your life transformed by Christ has far more compelling power than a bumper sticker on your car, than a billboard on the side of the road. People will see the power of the gospel as it is transforming your life far more clearly than they will from, from empty platitudes that we, we slap on the back end of our Prius, Make everything in your life smaller this Christmas. Reduce all of the external stuff that comes with this season in our commercial and materialistic society. Make all of those things smaller so that Christ may shine all the more brightly, that he may loom in your life all the more largely, and that he may save sinners through your testimony to his power all the more gloriously magnify the Messiah this Christmas. Let's pray.